are in Revelation chapter 12, if you'll flip there and stand with me, we will read the word together. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, it was just a week and a half ago that we had a really sweet uh, Halloween outreach here in the courtyard of the church. It was a harvest outreach. It was a We Got the Light outreach, hoping trick-or-treaters would come by. You know what ended up being a a really neat time of fellowship as a church? Not a ton of trick-or-treaters coming by, although one family that came out of a few, um, the daughter of the family came to youth group this last week, and it was a really special time, and she just kind of clung to me and was really excited that she knew me from the outreach, and, and this is our youth group, and you know, it was just really fun. She felt right at home, but You know what's interesting, and this is always the case, is after that great uh, Reformation Day uh, there, (laughs) or also known as Halloween, All Hallows' Eve and all that good stuff, is that pretty much the next day, November 1st, begins the celebration of Christmas, of course, right? In fact, it's well known that it's November 1st, so we're officially allowed to talk about Christmas. Or also from Elf, Halloween week is over, can I put up my Christmas tree now? Of course, if you drive down uh, 7th Street, you see the the house there that's all ready. I mean, they were all decked out for Halloween, and now they are all decked out for Christmas. I don't know, who's got time for that, is what I'm wondering. Uh, This is literally the face that I make uh, when I drive by. When I hear people talking about decorating for Christmas right after Halloween, 
it's like, you know, uh, it's a little strange. Of course, the Batman one, we wish you a Merry Christmas. It's November, right? It's not time yet. Uh, and when the clock strikes midnight, Halloween will end, and then bam, Christmas carols are everywhere. And, you know, I myself personally, I like to not forget Thanksgiving. And after Thanksgiving, for me personally, that's when we start decorating for Christmas and get ready for Christmas. And this is just a good warning for everybody out there that for every Christmas light lit before Thanksgiving, an elf kills a baby reindeer. <laughs> so. And the reason, you know, th these are called memes in case you're wondering, you know, it is 2019, you got to start uh, loving them and you got to start making your own, right? Um, but uh, the reason that I, I jest like this is because in chapter 12 here, uh, we have essentially what's been called uh, an apocalyptic Christmas story, all right? An apocalyptic Christmas story. And Man, I was this last week, I was like, is there any way I can stretch Revelation out to wait to get to chapter 12, you know, in the end of December, you know, and maybe have this be our Christmas text, and you know how I can stretch things out and out. I mean, this is the longest introduction in Calvary Chapel's history, but, um, but I just couldn't do it, and so we're, we're getting into it in the spirit of uh, America celebrating Christmas right after Halloween, right? This apocalyptic Christmas story. Now, we are halfway through the book of Revelation. Can you believe it? 11 chapters down, 11 chapters to go. And as we get to chapter 12, I want us to keep in mind, because there's a lot here, a little bit of speculation, a little bit of what could this be, but there is a main idea to keep in mind, and that is that God has always been faithful to keep his promises. Amen? And through Jesus, he will bring to completion the final salvation of his people, Israel. God is not done with Israel. And as Romans chapter 11 helps us out, one day all Israel will be saved despite Satan's opposition. Okay, so this chapter really helps with understanding that, that God is going to keep his promises even for his people Israel and his promises of messianic reign, of the salvation of the Christ, and of that Christ ruling upon the throne of David over David forever. And so we can say amen that God keeps his promises. Now, concerning this apocalyptic Christmas story, this isn't your mama's Christmas story, okay? This isn't the Christmas story of old. This isn't the Christmas story that we grew up doing pageants about. Am I right? You know, although how fun would that be? Like, ever come to our Christmas pageant. Oh, it's going to be great. What is up with this dragon and the pregnant lady with the stars? And, you know, we could have some fun with that one. I'm sure. Uh, this is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it's the same story. There's no shepherd and wise man in manger scene in this story, but there are some similarities that are easy for you to pick out if you're familiar with the nativity. Now, interestingly enough, the Christmas story does not begin in a manger in Bethlehem. And it doesn't begin in Nazareth with an angelic announcement to Mary. The Christmas story actually begins all the way back at the beginning of your Bible. Did you know that? In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, it's after the fall of mankind. It's after the fall in the garden. And this verse is what's called the Proto-Evangelion, okay? The Proto-Evangelism, or the first gospel, okay? You can preach the gospel from the book of Genesis, because it's here, it's after the fall, it looks like, oh no, humanity is doomed, but God is not surprised as he confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden, 
And God speaks to the serpent where he says, I will put enmity between your, uh, between you and the woman, that's Eve, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head. And that word bruise means crush. He shall crush your head, serpent, whoever the seed of Eve might be. And we know from Bible study that that's Jesus. Yet in the process, you're going to bruise him. And that word bruise means to bruise. Jesus is going to be bruised in the process of crushing Satan. But the reason this is a, 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 an, a, this is a primordial or this is a, the first Christmas story is because uh, it's the promise of the child to come. Okay? It's the promise of the Redeemer to come. It's the promise of the Savior to come. And so as we get into our text today, back in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 12, it says, Now a great sign, a megasamelon in the Greek, a great sign appeared in heaven. It was probably neon and it was probably flashing, right? Something that we all need. A woman was clothed with the sun. She was adorned with the sun. And she had the moon under her feet, quite the get-up, right? I mean, if you're just reading that. And then she had this garland of 12 stars. And so first question we ask is, who is this woman? And many of us, as we're thinking, okay, Christmas story, where would we go with this pregnant woman that we see? And we would probably first off just say, well, it's got to be the Virgin Mary, right? I mean, that's probably where our mind would first go. And that's actually the, the Roman Catholic view is that that would be the Virgin uh, Mary. A uh, little problem with that is that Mary's not at heaven in this point of time, nor was Mary in heaven when the Christ child was born. There's a little bit of flaw in that, and there's something bigger that's going to be happening uh, with Mary, if, if, if that were the case, through the rest of this chapter. And we've already read it today. Um, the Christian scientists say that this is Mary Baker Eddy, all right? Now, actually, it's Mary Baker Eddy that once said that this was Mary Baker Eddy. So that's awful convenient as we're interpreting the Bible, like, it's me! <laughs> and anybody who disagrees with me is a dragon and will be cast out of heaven. Oh, I love private interpretation. Something that Peter tells us there is none of. Okay? There's no private interpretation, all right? There's actually some means and methods by which we, with integrity, get our interpretation. When Dr. Harry Ironside was asked to comment on Mary Baker Eddy's interpretation of herself being the woman her religion being her child, and anybody who disagrees would be Satan, okay? Uh, Henry Ironside said, you know, what do you think of this? And he said, I don't need to take up the time of sane people, okay? Because it's just really poor Bible interpretation. Uh, some say that this woman is the church. As the church, we all know, gave birth to Christ. No, okay, no, that's not the case. It's the other way around, all right? Christ gave birth to the church in that case. But I believe that good exegesis of the scripture leads us to that this woman is actually Israel, that this woman is actually Israel who has uh, been part of the messianic community, and that she is Israel's righteous remnant to be saved, all right? And something that helps us with this is we ask, is there anywhere else in scripture where we see a similar sign, a similar vision of moons and suns and stars? And maybe your mind goes back to Genesis 37, to Jacob's, uh, or rather to Joseph's dream. Genesis 37 verse 9 says that he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, he himself would be the 12th star, bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? 
And Jacob already knows the interpretation. Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And the brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. All right. Often this happens like in Mary's case, when she found out she was pregnant, she kept it in her heart and she kind of pondered it. Okay, so uh, so we have a, a precedent in scripture of the sun, the moon and the stars. And the Old Testament is super helpful in our understanding of the book of Revelation. I it's my understanding and I say this with humility uh, that this is this is Israel that we're seeing. Okay, this is this is coming out of Jacob. This is coming out of uh, the 12 tribes. Okay, and that this woman has these things adorning her, showing us who she is. Warren Wearsby likes to remind us that many of our spiritual blessings today have come to us through the Jewish people. These blessings include the scriptures. The New Testament says that the Jews have been the custodians of scripture. The Savior has come through the Jews. The prophets and the apostles and even the church began with Jewish believers on Jewish holidays in the Jewish city of Jerusalem, okay? And so, uh, and so that's just that's where I'm coming from as I teach this text, and it's with humility, and, uh, and one day we'll fully know the best interpretation as we're standing before the throne of the Lord. Uh, and so uh, moving on in this direction with verse 2, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So Old Testament imagery is often of Israel, a mother giving birth. And Isaiah 26 and Isaiah 66, that it's out of faithful Israel that Messiah will come. Now, humans are pregnant for around nine months. Rhinoceroses are pregnant for 15 months. Elephants are pregnant for 21 wonderful months. But this nation of Israel was pregnant with the promise for 4,000 years. Ladies, you think you've got it bad? 4,000 years. I mean, come on. Okay. You're, you're making a little much of it. Okay. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Lindsay's downstairs today, so I can say these sorts of things. Okay. Now, the fact that she, Israel, cries out in birth pangs represents the fact that the Jewish people were under intense oppression at the time of Christ's birth, courtesy of the Romans, okay? So at the time of this birth, they had been going through it. They had been longing for Messiah. It represents their longing for Messiah to come, for him to establish his kingdom. This is all prophesied of in the Old Testament. So she cries out in birth. In verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. So in chapters 12 through 13, we have the introduction to the unholy trinity. Okay, We have the dragon or Satan who would be um, trying to model the father we have the antichrist anti means in place of we have the in place of christ he is going to come and he is going to attempt to look like jesus he's even going to have some sort of a death and resurrection moment and then we have the prophet the false prophet in chapter 13 of revelation show up and he is going to attempt to have some sort of holy spirit about him okay now in the book of Revelation, 13 times, Satan is called a dragon. Dragons like to strike fear in people. And as I was studying this, my mind kept going back to that scene in Sleeping Beauty. Probably one of the most epic battle scenes in cartoon history, all right? You've got that dragon. I think her name is Maleficent or Magnificent or Maleficent. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. Got to put the emphasis on the right syllable on that one. Oh, okay, I'll, let me hear it. Maleficent. Oh, now we've got a divided room. We cannot continue today. All right. Go watch the movie. I don't know. All right. 
Uh, but what an epic scene there in the cartoon version, right? The prince and the white horse and the thorn bushes and all of that. This scary dragon, very well drawn out, uh, trying to strike fear and giving that to little kids as they watch it in their childhood. Uh, of course, this one having seven heads and ten horns speaks of power and authority in Scripture. When you start studying Bible prophecy, the book of Daniel especially, you get into heads that represent kingdoms and kingdoms within kingdoms. And so uh, we have, as we will look at Daniel, and we've looked at Daniel in the past, you've got some sort of uh, confederation of kingdoms, European unions, etc., etc. Horns often speak of kings and authorities, okay? And so however this dragon is coming on the scene at the time, it's got these different kingdoms, it's got these different authorities, kings and kingdoms. There's this diadem, which literally is a royal headwear. Oftentimes when we see uh, the enemies of the Lord with crowns, they are Stephanoses, they are uh, temporary leafy wreaths upon their head. And, and yet this is, man, the devil, he's, he's been the prince and the power of the world for a long time. He's been the prince and power of the air, and he's got this crown. It's a legit crown as he has been reigning in his uh, wicked power for so long. And um, all of this kings and kingdoms about this dragon. And verse 4 says, his tail drew a third of the stars. And by the way, we'll see this dragon next week in chapter 13, later on in chapter 17, We'll see him quite a bit. But uh, his tail, verse 4, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So starting out in verse 4, this dragon takes his tail and takes a third of the stars, throwing them down to the earth. Daniel chapter 8, verse 10, speaks of this, this uh, demonic horn growing up to the host of heaven and casting down some of the hosts or the stars to the ground and trampling them, okay? Later on in verse 7 and 9 of our text today, we see these stars identified as Satan's angels, okay? So uh, what we have is basically some insight in what happened in that primordial war in heaven when Satan exalted himself, or his name back then was Lucifer, some sort of archangel, some believe him to have been the worship leader of heaven, and that as he exalted himself in pride, wanting to receive the same worship and honor as the Father, um, that in that pride he was cast down, and in his being cast down, he was able to deceive and take a third of the angels, a third of the host of heaven uh, with him. And one place that we have uh, a great image of this is in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, where it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. You know that Satan's name Lucifer is found only in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12. Lucifer is the Latin word for the planet Venus. And this dragon casting down stars with him, a third of the host of heaven. And in Revelation, we see thousands and thousands times ten thousands. And, and, you know, we're up in the billions of numbers here. And this is, this is you know, two thirds of what was, was um, the original host of heaven. But we also see this dragon just violent. You know, that's a, a violent imagery of even what he did with his own teammates as he drags them and he casts them down to the earth, trampling upon them. Then we see this dragon. Graphic imagery here, uh, as you picture maybe the labor room, you know, and then this dragon coming and standing before the woman who's ready to give birth. He wants to devour her child as soon as it is born. And so what we have here really is a world history of hatred. Throughout biblical and secular history, Satan has always tried to destroy the Jewish people. 
This has prompted the birth of anti-Semitism. And the word Semitic originally refers to the descendant of Shem, who was the eldest son of Noah. Abraham, whose father Abraham, the father of the Jews, was a descendant of Shem. And therefore, all of this anti-Semitism, the hatred for the uh, children of Abraham, it goes back to the children of Shem. And, and so this anti-Semitism, it's a tale as old of time. This action even of the devil getting in front of the pregnant woman, trying to get her, her baby boy. He's always tried to do this from the history of the world. He's always tried to stop this seed of Eve from coming who would crush him. Uh, in the process of the proto-evangelion. We have it birthed back in, uh, in the book of Genesis when Cain killed Abel. We have it when Pharaoh killed the baby boys of the Hebrew people. That was in his heart, was to destroy. Satan was at the root of it in Exodus 1, 14. Saul's attempt to kill David in 1 Samuel 18. Wicked Ataliah trying to destroy all of the royal heirs of, uh, who would take on the house of Judah as their king. In 2 Chronicles 22.10, she attempted a genocide. We know from the book of Esther that Haman plotted genocide against the Jews. And of course, probably where your mind went first off as we read the dragon, ready to catch the baby, to kill it when he was born, takes us to Herod in the Gospels. As Herod tried to kill Jesus, And we can look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its district from two years old and under, according to the time he determined from the wise men. This isn't normal stuff that kings do. All right. Herod, who was a paranoid man, who if you study this King Herod, would build all kinds of fortresses that he could run to just in case there was a coup against him. In fact, he built the, built the Herodian just south of Bethlehem, and you can look it up, and oftentimes I show it at Christmas time. It's a man-made mountain that he built with a fortress on top that he could run to should there be any rebellion, he would be kept safe. And the interesting thing is, the very place where he built his little palace to keep his kingdom safe, just underneath that mountain is Bethlehem, and it was where the king of kings and the lord of lords was born. And he was born in a barn, in a sense. The, the low would be exalted one day. And yet that king upon his mountain palace declared all of the two-year-olds and, un, and under in Bethlehem, just below his palace, to be destroyed. And of course, this tale of the devil trying to destroy the Jews goes on and on throughout history. More recently, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler and the millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of Jews who would be killed in those genocides. Satan knows the gospel and he wants to stop it and thwart God's plans. Look at verse 5 of our text, Revelation chapter 12. She bore a male child. I think it was Ironside's commentary titles this chapter, the woman and the male child. And uh, I was born into a family with uh, three kids, and I was the middle one, and I was the only boy child. And my mom always used to call me her male child. And uh, I was the male child. I was also the spice child, if you've heard that about me. All the rumors are false. But here we have the real male child, uh, this, this male offspring. In fact, it can even be translated son of God, and son of man. It's the word hulos. This male child. She, he was born son of God, son of man. Who is this in our understanding of this prophecy? It's Jesus, all right? Um, and in fact, something that is helpful, helpful here is that he was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, the birth of Jesus on that day in Bethlehem inaugurated the death of this ancient serpent. It was the beginning of the end for him, just as it had been prophesied back in Genesis chapter 3. The birth of Jesus declared the death of the ancient serpent. It was the, and then, not only the birth of Jesus did such a wonderful act, but the death of Jesus 
defanged that serpent adversary. In fact, I remember back in the day, John Corson talking about how there was a, a bully in high school when he was in high school, and, and he always feared this bully, and, and, and something about he had a reunion or something, and he was going to, and he just knew he was going to see this bully. Even in his adulthood, it was going to be terrifying. And, and this, this bully that he'd seen ended up being in an accident, and he was uh, disabled, and he was unable. There was no more fear in that same sense that he once had. And Corson uses that illustration to show that we don't need to be afraid of this serpent in the same way. As this adversary, the devil, had been defanged, he doesn't have the power that he once had. And Jesus, this child, is to rule all nations with this rod of iron. Sounds good, doesn't it? A good scepter. I like a good scepter in a throne room scene, don't you? Well, Psalm prophesies this in chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, I will declare the decree where the Lord says to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. It's a great prophecy of Jesus. It's a great prophecy of, um, of the Messiah. Everyone knows this is a messianic psalm. And it says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And so this is the millennial kingdom come. This was when Jesus will ultimately rule and reign on the earth and he will rule with a rod or a staff or a scepter of righteousness and justice, and it is something this world longs for and desires. There are all sorts of movements right now that, that long for justice and social justice movements. And when you read the Psalms even, the psalmist writes out, he longs for justice. And we can applaud that God is a God of justice, and one day justice will be done, vengeance will be the Lord, the innocent will be vindicated, and we long in our heart of hearts for such a day and one day uh, this will come, and it comes through the male child. And you know what? It comes past, it comes present, and it comes future through the male child. It's part of the mystery of the kingdom of God. That there's parts of it now that are already happening, and then there's parts that are not yet that one day we long to see fulfilled. And then we see that her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so there's this very quick shot of history that happens 30 years goes by in a sentence he's born and he's ascended okay he ascends up to god and to his throne it's been said that this little passage summarizes the first coming career of jesus it includes his birth it includes his destiny and includes uh his ascension okay and we all know that this is this is true of Jesus. He did ascend into heaven. Luke 24, 51 says that he's blessing the disciples after he'd risen from the dead. And he was parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Luke 24, 51 says. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 says, And when he'd spoken these things, he watched, uh, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And you know, I love Ascension Sunday and I love preaching on the Ascension because the Ascension of Jesus is just as powerful and necessary as the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Because if the sacrifice and atonement of Jesus was not indeed a pure and spotless sacrifice, then he would not be accepted into heaven. All right, He would get up there into the cloud and bonk his head or something like that. I don't know. And that's why the psalmist says, open up all you gates and shout out because here comes the Lord. Who is this king of glory? It's known that that psalm is an ascension psalm and it's the glorious homecoming of heaven as the victorious son not only lived a sinless life but he died the death 
of sacrifice for sinners and substitution for sinners. He didn't stay dead in the tomb, but he rose from the dead. He showed himself alive for 40 days with many infallible proofs. And after 40 days, he ascended up into heaven. The gates were opened up. Open up all you gates. Who is this king of glory, the psalmist says. And as that, uh, the gates are opened, in comes the Lord, mighty in battle. He is victorious. He is won. He is vindicated. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father. The ascension of Jesus is huge doctrine. It's important doctrine, and it's doctrine that we rejoice in. It's doctrine that we see in the book of Revelation. So sad that people skip the book of Revelation, isn't it? You know, we can be humble as we study it, and some of this, we don't have it all. You know, we can't be unduly dogmatic with it. It's not a good thing as we study the book of Revelation, but there's so much in it that's gospel, all right? There's so much in it that's hope. There's so much in it that, that we rejoice in to know that Jesus has won the victory for us. And this child is caught up to God and uh, to his throne. The exalting Jesus in Revelation commentary says, The ascension is the unquestionable proof that Satan was defeated and that he could not prevent Christ from rising from the dead and ascending back to his father, where he now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, perhaps the very place Satan coveted when he fell. Satan disgraced and dishonored himself with his idolatrous ambition to exalt himself. But God exalted and honored his son Jesus as Jesus stooped down, as Jesus was incarnated and put in flesh and was humbled all the way down to the point of death and that of the cross. It's there where we see that the way up is really found through going down. God has ransomed captive Israel in this Christmas story at this point with the coming of Emmanuel. And in verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And one of the only other places in the New Testament where we see that God has prepared a place is found in John chapter 14. It's where Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. Now how wonderful that God's in the business of preparing places for those that love him. Even those who are alive during the tribulation period that are this woman, that are Jews, that are the messianic remnant that we read about here in this text, God has prepared, and notice the text is, has prepared a place. The place has been prepared. In Matthew chapter 24, we're a bit familiar with it. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it's Jesus getting into end time studying. It's Jesus showing us when the temple would have been destroyed, what are the signs of his coming, and when will the end be? And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, you guys are familiar with this by now if you've been around here very long. We know that Daniel the prophet speaks about halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist will stand up in the temple and he will demand that he be worshipped. He's going to make the temple desecrated, okay? Uh, he's going to stand in the holy place. And then he just says, hey, whoever's around at this time, understand this. Look at verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So if, the, if you're in Jerusalem during the tribulation period, and the, this guy, of course, probably during the time, people aren't calling him Antichrist, you know, but maybe some are. You know, it depends on if you've watched the Left Behind series with Kirk Cameron or not. I don't know, but but uh, I'm just teasing. Um, but the... The Antichrist stands up in the temple, brings an end to sacrifice and offering, and demands that he be worshipped. Then you know, whoa, yeah, this has been prophesied before. There's something's happening that both Daniel and Jesus and the book of Revelation have spoken of. Then, verse 16, let those who are in Judea, so you're in Jerusalem, you got to flee to the mountains, okay? Get out of Dodge, right? You don't want to be in Jerusalem for what's coming next. Go to the mountains. If you're on a housetop, don't go down to get anything in your house. It's going to get bad. And let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant. And let's just make a deal that if you're left behind in the tribulation, don't make any babies during that time, okay? This is, that's not something that's good for the family, okay? But I got a better deal for you. Just don't go to the tribulation. Let's go to heaven together, amen? Okay, 
So woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies in those days. It's just a rough time to be with child. Verse 20, and pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then, from this point on, from, from halfway through the tribulation on, Jesus says, there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So all that we'd read before and studied of, of Pharaoh killing babies and Herod killing babies and Haman, you know, trying to kill all the Jews in the book of Esther and Ataliah and all of those things, none of that. Hitler, Stalin, the world's never seen what's going to happen in the final half of the tribulation. Uh, the world's never seen it, nor shall there ever be anything like it past this point. In verse 22 says, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, and, and so at this point in the book of Revelation, we're looking at the elect are these messianic Jews, the woman who's going to go into the wilderness to be spared for, for her sake. We're going to shorten these days. Now, we have this interesting passage. It's going to be mentioned twice in the book of, uh, in chapter 12 of Revelation, that this woman flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. Um, there's a little bit of question about where this might be, and it's just interesting that there happens to be a place in the wilderness that is a rock city. It's called the Rock City of Petra, and we've got some pictures of it here, okay? So now, rock, you know, uh, Petra may be this place, okay? I'm not going to stand up here and say it, it for sure is. It's just interesting, okay, that Daniel chapter 11, verse 41, speaking of this same time, prophesies that he shall enter the glorious land, this is the Antichrist, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from the Antichrist's hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Where is that located in the Middle East, in the wilderness today? Ammon, especially, is in the place of Jordan. And in the wilderness of Jordan, in the mountains, there happens to be this rock city that has hundreds of caves and place for thousands of people to take refuge. Just an interesting little tidbit um, to show, you know, the Bible's not all that crazy, and some of these prophecies do have some very plausible um, explanations, okay? Um, but notice the time frame in verse 6, how long they are going to feed, uh, how long uh, will she be fed and nourished there in that um, desert safe house? 1,260 days. Remember last week we saw 42 months as a time frame that we, studying Bible end times, we want to start remembering 42 months. We want to start studying 1,260 days. And we want to remember the time called times, time, and half a time. All of it is the same way of saying three and a half years, okay? Or half of the tribulation period. All right, moving right along through our text. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. <clears throat> this has been called heaven's battle of the bulge, and here we see it ensuing. This is where God the Father says, hey, it's time to take out the trash, okay? Uh, as you have Michael just starting to fight with this piece of junk, Lucifer, Satan, and kicking him out of heaven. It's interesting that Michael's name means who is like God. And it's interesting that the one he's fighting against, Lucifer, had an egocentric attack that said, I will be like God. So you've got who is like God taking out the trash of I'll be like God. Yeah, there's no place for you here, okay? In uh, Daniel chapter 10, we see a similar angelic heavenly battle taking place okay we have an angel come to the prophet daniel and say do not fear daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before god your words were heard so daniel started praying and there's this encouragement from an angel that says the minute you started praying your words were heard in heaven and i have come to you because of your words 
So the minute you were praying, man, the Lord dispatched me. But, verse 13 says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I'd been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And so, interesting, in the book of Daniel, we see that there seem to be some sort of angels and, and wicked angels over different nations. And in this case, there was a prince or an angel over Persia who came to fight uh, and to bring spiritual warfare that we see in Ephesians chapter 6 and hinder the prayers of uh, Daniel. But Gabriel was sent forth, got in this fight, had to call for backup. Here comes Michael and he takes on this angel and Gabriel is able to go and help deliver this incredible prophecy uh, to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. In fact, Daniel 10, 21 said, I'm telling you what's noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So Michael, who is uh, just fighting for Israel, seems to have Gabriel's back in the spiritual realm when it comes to uh, fighting for Israel and whatnot. Um, you also see in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, at this time, Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble which shall never, which never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And so Daniel chapter 12, 1 is a specific prophecy of Revelation chapter 12, where Michael's going to stand up, and he's going to kick some demon booty, okay? And uh, we all look forward to that, amen? But look at verse 8. But the devil and his angels did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. Literally, they weren't strong enough to fight against Michael. But we also see that there was a place for them in heaven before. A little strange. We're going to see that in just a little bit. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so I'll give you that sometimes the Bible's a little hard to understand, and oh, just wrestle through things. People just avoid the book of Revelation because it's just so many signs and types and whatnot. And like, in this case, you've got this dragon, and it's like, who is that guy anyways? Like, it's kind of an easy one, but you know, oh, I'm just not going to read the book of Revelation. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what the dragon is. And yet, even the book of Revelation oftentimes interprets itself for us. And this would be that case, all right? Here it is. It's a commentary on itself, and he tells us who the dragon is, okay? Revelation 12 contains a little mini-seminar on Satanology for us, giving us some instructive titles for who the enemy is. Number one, he is the great dragon. It's the Hebrew word for monster here. And uh, I've got a little three-year-old girl right now who you put her in bed, and you walk back out of her room, and she's out there again. And she's like, Dad, you woke me up. And I'm like, literally just walked out of your room, you know. <laughs> Go back, get back in bed, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scared, you know. I'm like, oh, what are you scared of? I made this room for you. It's white walls and pink curtains and a pink bedspread and little princess words, you know, taped to your wall. Or like, this is a safe zone, okay. Nothing bad. But there's monsters. You know, and you're just wondering, what monsters is a three-year-old mind coming up with? You know, uh, there's monsters in there. So I just open up to Revelation chapter 12, and I'm like, honey, you think you've seen monsters? Like, <laughs> look at this, okay? John the Revelator couldn't sleep for three years after seeing this stuff, okay? There's the hope, Tatum, that the monsters will be cast out one day, Okay. He's cast out that serpent of old. Who is this dragon? Well, he's the great dragon. Yeah, I know. That serpent of old, or translated that evil person. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat out of every tree of the garden? You know? Man, I don't know. I don't know who this dragon could be. I don't know who this serpent could be. It's the serpent of old, 
not following you. Well, 2 Corinthians eleven three. but I feared lest somehow how the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The deceiver, he's the Satan, he's called the devil in our little seminar this morning. El Diablo, right? It, it's translated diabolos in the Greek, which is, of course, where we get diabolical. And I had to look it up. Diabolical is characteristic of the devil, okay? So evil as to be suggestive of the devil. It's disgraceful, bad, unpleasant, this guy. In John, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, the self-righteous, hypocritical, religious guys, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. He's the devil. He's a liar. He's Satan, our seminar tells us, which speaks of the adversary or the enemy. He deceives the whole world as he's been a liar from the beginning. And we can rejoice right now. We can let our hearts jump just a little bit. Because the day is going to come when he will be cast out of heaven. And his angels will be cast out with him. Now, we're going to see in verse 12, what's he doing in heaven but real quick verse 10 says then i heard a loud voice saying in heaven now salvation and this is a, a revelation hymn it's a worship song now salvation and strength and the kingdom of god and the power of his christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our god day and night has been cast down we have such joy in this moment we think of our salvation our soteriology our deliverance Back in Revelation chapter 7, it says in the song, salvation belongs to our God. In Revelation 19, again, salvation and glory belong to our God. And just this song of salvation and dynamic strength, supernatural strength and ability and power and might and God's sovereign reign and his power. And on top of that, the power of his Christ, the power of the Messiah, the power of Jesus, where he has rule and jurisdiction and authority, have come. Why? For, you can underline the word for, it's a connecting term. For the accuser of our brethren, that Satan, that devil, the Diablo, the serpent, the, de the, the dragon. The accuser of our brethren. If you're a Christian here today, you're a brethren. And you're being accused. Accused before God both day and night. That's what Satan's doing in heaven. There's a place for him in heaven. He goes up there and he just gets to accuse you guys and accuse me. And you know how when you're kind of feeling like, oh yeah, he accused me during the day, but it's nighttime. He punched out at 5 p.m. No, he didn't. Even at nighttime, he's up there accusing us, you, me, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the one we love. That's what he does. He's a perpetual spiritual tattletale. Nobody likes tattletales. Look in Job chapter 1. I just encourage you guys. I know that it is 1133. I'm aware of the time. This is Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. Let's muster down. Let's, let's get our minds together. Let's figure out why should we be, re, be rejoicing about salvation and strength and glory and honor and the power of the Christ What's the big deal? The big deal is because currently there's someone in heaven accusing you of stuff. You believe that? And Job expounds on it. When he says, there was a day when the sons of God, that, that speaks of um, any sort of angel, comes to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also comes with them. Right? This, is, this is the stuff movies are made of. Right? Oh, there he is. He's coming with all the other angels. Who does he think he is up here? Right? He comes in and just struts on in and saunters into the throne of God. And the Lord says to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answers and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord says to Satan, yeah, well, while you were out there, did you consider my servant Job? 
that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. You come up here with your little list of all the people who have done bad things, you'll tattletale. What do you got on there for Job? And Satan answers and says, did Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased in the land. But now you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. And the Lord says to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You go back to Job chapter 2. I'm not going to tell you what happens in the story. You can go read Job for yourself. But again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you uh, considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast in his integrity? Although you incite me against him to destroy him without a cause? So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Right? Sounds like something the devil would say, right? Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So kind of an interesting drama of what's going on in heaven, even now, with Satan. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 says, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And by the way, in the scripture, Old Testament angel of the Lord is Jesus in heaven. He's not an angel, but he's the Old Testament messenger of the Lord. And Satan's standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And you can only imagine Joshua standing in filthy garments, Satan there to accuse him before the Lord. And the answer, uh, verse 4, And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, See, I've removed your iniquity from you, Joshua, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. So just a little bit of some heavenly throne room stuff of this, you know, Satan, his role in heaven. But we see the, the good news that a place was not found for him anymore after this battle. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So how did anyone that was accused, any of these brethren, overcome this accuser, this great prosecuting attorney of the heavens? We overcome him in three ways. Number one, by the blood of the lamb. We believe that the blood of the lamb washes away over our sin so that when we're condemned or feeling guilty about our sins, we can rest in what Jesus' blood has done. It has washed away our sins. What the book of Hebrews says in chapter 10 that anyone who continues on sinning unrepentantly cannot have such forgiveness of their sins. And it says because they count the blood of Jesus as some sort of common thing and trample under their feet the blood of the covenant. And so what does that do for us today? That just says to me, man, I want to value and treasure the blood of Jesus and what he has done for me to provide atonement for me so that when Satan is accusing me, I can just rest in what Jesus has done all my sins are washed away and I'm found as white as snow. We also overcome this accuser of the brethren who's there day and night spouting out accusations against you and me by the word of our testimony, by the story of what he's done for us in the gospel. And that's why I would encourage every Christian to know your testimony and to share your testimony. And for all of your friends that you might share your testimony with, there's no argument for a changed life who we were before Jesus and who we are now in Jesus. 
Know your testimony. Share your testimony. Preach the gospel to yourself. In Polina, when we go preach on Sunday afternoons, we're in the gospel of Mark. And last week we studied the demoniac who had the legion of demons in him. And after the demons were cast out of him, he wanted to follow Jesus and be like a disciple. And Jesus said, no, not now. I want you to go, go your way and tell everybody two things. No, number one, how good the Lord has been to you, all the great things that God has done for you. And secondly, how he's shown mercy on you. And from that point on, the demoniac, in fact, his name from that point on in the Bible is he who had the demon. It's like his Native American name, Dances with Wolves. He who had the demon, okay? He goes out to the 10 cities of the Decapolis and he shares his testimony, the great things the Lord has done for him and the mercy that he has shown. And finally, we overcome by not loving our lives to the death. We're willing to lay down our lives for Jesus because we find him more valuable and more precious. Come on up, worship team, as we wrap up uh, fastly through this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The devil went down to Georgia, and he was looking for a soul to steal. Here we read, the devil comes down to earth, and he knows he's been kicked out of heaven. He knows he's got a short time. He's like a, an athlete in the final seconds of the game. The clock is ticking down. They know they're losing. And if I can just cause some fouls here, maybe I can win. And so there's cheap shots and sucker punches from the devil in the tribulation period from this time on. And when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, what does he do? He begins to persecute, to hunt down the woman or Israel who gave birth to the male child. In Zechariah, we see that, um, that two-thirds of the Jews, two out of three Jews who are alive at this time, will die at the hand of the Antichrist. Uh, One-third, this remnant, will remain and be kept safe. Uh, all that Satan's tried to do over the world history to destroy the Jews, it's flopped, but here he has a last-ditch effort. The woman, verse 14, again, she's, it, we see that she's given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. So, you know, of course, me and my imagination, I'm thinking Boeing 747. Let's get all these guys on here. You know, but in the Old Testament, it just speaks of God's protection. Maybe it literally is. There was a great eagle and um, go Boeing. You know, I don't know. But, um, and so they go to that, maybe Petra, whatever, in the wilderness, whatever it is, there's protection. Could be spiritual. Could be the Iron Dome that Israel has invented to stop missiles. I don't know what it is. Uh, but we just know, verse 15, that the serpent spews water out of his mouth. Uh, water often speaks of an army, but man, it could be missiles, could be bombs, could be whatever. He's trying to kill this woman that he might cause her to be carried away by this flood. But the earth helped the woman. By the way, the earth, the Lord has the earth do this in the Bible with Korah, with the Red Sea. The earth will swallow up the adversaries of the people of God. The earth helps the woman and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows up all this flood that the dragon spews out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. I just can't get her. Okay. He is having a serious temper tantrum. Very angry is what enraged means. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So who are the rest of Israel's offspring? Well, we know this. They're not Israel because they're not the woman, we know that they keep the commandments of the word of God and that they have the testimony of Jesus. So possibly we're seeing some Gentile converts here uh, in the tribulation that Satan can't get Israel, so he's, he's going after um, Gentiles who've been saved in the tribulation. That's an option there. And so as we close, you can go ahead and set your things down. And that's the end of the chapter, right? It's kind of a dot, dot, dot. To be continued, chapter 13 carries on a similar scene with the false trinity, with the cast of heaven in the end times. And uh, as we close, and you can put your things down. You know, in, in Bible study, they teach you how to find the fallen condition focus. Right, one of the first things that you do, you want to find the bad news. All right, so what 
what shows that there's been a fall? Things are not Garden of Eden bliss. And there's a bit of fall stuff in here. Here in my Bible, I underline it with a red pen. There's a whole lot of devil, devilish Satan, all that kind of stuff, right? War, all that kind of stuff. But you also go, okay, so, but how has God saved us from that fallen condition? And we see a male child coming to save the world. Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. And all that red underline of this, of the devil just accusing us. And this does not seem like the Garden of Eden bliss. This seems like there's accusation against me. I've got a record that's going to be shown before God. What do I do? And there's hope for us today that we can like have our docket erased in heaven like we don't have to give a defense for ourselves first john tells us if anyone sins we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and we can stand in heaven even though man we know that we have sinned thousands and thousands upon thousands of sins we've rebelled against god we've actually been on the dragon's team did you know that but god has done great things for us and he has shown us mercy, and he will be our advocate in heaven. Amen.